From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. My guest today on the podcast is Dr. Katie Garland. She's an assistant professor and pediatric plastic surgeon here at UW-Madison, where her specialties include treating infants and children in need of cleft lip and palate repair, craniosynostosis, speech disorders, ear abnormalities, and vascular anomalies. We talk about her work, and we also talk about a topic that we'll be visiting a lot this year on the surgery set, the intersection of her specialty and others in the truly interdisciplinary work that it takes to treat complex conditions. Enjoy! Dr. Garland, welcome to the surgery set. Thanks for coming by the studio. Thanks for having me. You and I were supposed to talk about your grand rounds that you gave actually a little while ago, but then as often happens, you were scheduled to go to the operating room immediately after you finished talking. And so uh, we've rescheduled to find time here, but I, and part of what we're gonna be talking about is, is your busy life. Yes, we say? exactly. What's cool to me about the work that you talked about in your talk and about sort of the many hats you wear is that when you're going to the operating room immediately after grand rounds running off, like when I go, I, I go and I operate and it's me doing a case with a resident. You're going and actually doing a lot of work with other specialists, with other multidisciplinary teams, and are really kind of at the forefront of building these multidisciplinary programs, at least in plastic surgery here. Just broad overview, like what all... What all do you do? Yeah, well, I, I think actually that's a good point. When I when I really think about it, probably more, definitely more than 50% of the surgeries I do, I'm doing it in combination with another surgeon, which is very difficult for my uh, scheduler to coordinate, of, as you would imagine. And yet that also kind of makes it more fun. I think you really build a lot of co- camaraderie and collegiality with other physicians here at UW and kind of can expand what you're able to offer people. You know, nobody wants to go to the operating room more often than needed. And so if you're able to do multiple things in one trip to the OR, and this becomes even more important when we're talking about children, as you know, that that's one of the big advantages of getting the opportunity to work closely with these people. So my specialized training is in taking care of kids with um, cleft lip and palate and other congenital craniofacial abnormalities. Our team that helps to take care of them incorporates myself, pediatric otolaryngology, our speech and language pathologists, and our audiologists are critical, you know, non-surgical specialties. We have a social worker and a genetics counselor who really work really closely with us in making sure that we're offering all the needed services to these families. Many of them, I do joint surgeries with our pediatric neurosurgeons. And then many of them have other medical problems, like they may need a G-tube that you would do, Mm -hmm. um, or a tracheostomy or something else. And so the number of doctors who become involved in the most complex kids' care is just becomes a huge number. And trying to manage all of that is an insurmountable task for many families. And so figuring out how we can make that better and help coordinate that is one of the big challenges and also you really end up building these wonderful relationships with these families over time. Talk a little bit about how you approach that because I know as I've dealt with patients you know like it's always frustrating for them and and for me right if if a patient comes in and they see you and then you realize like oh they really need to also see cardiology I know that the urologists have some concerns 
you've actually done a fair amount of work and, and actually like looked into the data behind you know creating multidisciplinary collaborative teams that, that do all of that kind of work up in a structured way. Yeah, I think that how to do it is actually the big challenge that's facing our healthcare system. You probably don't need multidisciplinary care for every patient who walks through your door, but I firmly believe it's the best way to take care of the most complicated patients. And you get the most holistic, overarching, and patient-centered care. I think we come to the best solutions for patients when we all are sitting in one room and discussing them rather than me seeing a patient, writing a note, sending it to you, you seeing them, writing a note, sending it back or sending it to a third person. When we're all actually there and talking and bouncing ideas off each other, we usually come up with, I think, often a better solution. But but coordinating that is a huge challenge. Can you sort of like talk us through uh, sort of the prototypical complex craniofacial kid or vascular anomalies kid? Because you're also one of the, the heads of our vascular anomalies clinic. Like, yeah. Complex kid. Take us from like they're at home. They see their pediatrician. They say, the pediatrician says, you need to go to the university. Like from there through the time that they're kind of home and recovered. Probably the most typical kid I see would be actually relatively straightforward would be cleft lip and palate. And usually I will meet those parents at a prenatal visit because they'll identify the cleft lip on a prenatal ultrasound. And so they'll meet with me, our nurse, and one of our speech and language pathologists to basically talk about what to expect once their child's born. Then after their child's born, they'll usually come to their first full team visit within the first couple weeks of life. And that's when they'll meet with the ENT doctors who will talk about how that cleft lip and palate will affect their potential function of their middle ear and fluid and ear infections. We'll make sure that they pass their newborn hearing screen. If they haven't, then they'll see our audiologist. They'll work with the speech therapist on feeding and see the rest of these team members. We usually then will typically see them at least yearly, um, sometimes a little more often if they're a little more complex, sometimes less often if they don't need us as much, but trying to really tailor it to what they need. Um, Because as these kids grow, different things become priorities, whether it's their dental development, their hearing, their speech. You know, it has so much more than just me doing a surgery to fix their cleft lip or fix their cleft palate. It goes until they're 18 years old. Really? Wow. And you're repairing them pretty young, right? Yeah, so those first two surgeries are happening within the the first year of life, typically. But um, there are other, maybe other surgeries along the way and all these other interconnected pieces that were kind of helping to keep an eye on all the way through. You're far more than just like the technician. Here, Correct. Right? Like it's yeah. all the sort of non-surgical management is much more complicated than the, just the operation itself. It is. And I think for many of them, we become a part of their family and they become a part of ours because mm-hmm. you get to know them so well. And, uh, you know, that's one of the best parts about my job probably is getting to really get to know these families more than just sort of taking care of their kid once or twice. Yeah, that annual Christmas card of like watching these kids that you knew when they were super sick as babies as they grow up through life is like, it's, it's the, the highlight best. of the job, it's right? The I mean, best. This is so yeah, cool. and, and we do a picnic every year with all of our families in our cleft and craniofacial anomalies clinic. Oh, awesome. And that's a highlight. You yeah. Know, you see, and you see um, the parents with newborn babies who haven't really gone through the process interfacing with the families who have been through it. And there's a lot of good peer support too that 
comes through those kinds of social events. That's so awesome. Can you talk a little bit about the vascular anomalies group? Because I think that's, it's got that sort of same flavor of like lots of different people talking about problems, but it's a different panel of experts. It is, and we, we do it a little bit differently. Whereas our cleft craniofacial anomalies kid really clinic is really primarily children, our vascular anomalies is all ages. Mm. And so many of these we can identify when they're children, and many of them we're seeing people in their 70s. Um, by the time we're really starting to figure out what's going on with them. Mm. It means it may have always been there, but had not grown to such a size that it was causing any problems. Those patients typically are patients who we either don't really know what their diagnosis is or don't really know what to do about it. You know, it's almost like House, like the TV show, yeah. where we're getting everybody together, which is, and everybody's coming from a little different perspective to try to figure out what it is and how to treat it. And so, you know, I'll come from a surgical perspective, which is, can I just remove this mm-hmm. surgically and will that treat it? We'll have our dermatologists and our geneticists coming from a more medical perspective, our orthopedic colleagues sort of thinking about function, of a, especially if it's an extremity, and our radiologists and interventional radiologists who are key in the diagnostics as well as actually treating a lot of these lesions from a minimally invasive approach. Those clinics are always um, exciting, I yeah, would say, right. because we're taking a really difficult problem and we'll usually all powwow, look at all the imaging together, maybe even talk with our pathologist who would have looked at prior pathology if there was any, kind of come up with a, some ideas about what our treatments will be and then talk to the patient and then figure out how what we think melds in with sort of that patient's goals or is the best treatment just observation, mm-hmm. which it often is, and then coming up with a plan for monitoring. The really exciting thing there is, you know, we're moving from people used to see these lesions and cut them out to now understanding what gene is causing the problem in the first place. Mm. And so the future is really exciting in terms of being able to have targeted medical therapies to treat some of these really complex problems. So I mean, it makes such intuitive sense that these multidisciplinary clinics would improve care, right? It just, it's intuitive that if you wanted to like get kind of blue ribbon commission care for your complicated problem, you would want like a bunch of experts in the room, you know, from everything from nursing specialists and audiologists to, you know, various rarefied subspecialists in medicine. But what do we know about like how this works and how it affects not just patient care, but healthcare systems? Well, we actually, there's a lot of holes in the data Mm. on that. There's good data to support that patients are probably getting more accurate diagnoses, whether that's tumor boards for cancer patients or probably like these vascular anomalies clinic that we're getting better diagnoses when we bring together experts. Um, Market effect, right? Correct. multiple perspectives just hone you in. Exactly. And so in cancer, there's good evidence to support that the patients will get a more complete staging workup Mm. and a more complete treatment plan with neoadjuvant therapies, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, than if they're just sort of seen by individual practitioners. What we don't have as good of data, there's a suggestion that that improves patient outcomes in the long term in in terms of survival, but that data isn't quite as strong. So that's where one of these kind of holes is, I think, for future thinking about how we can kind of prove that this is worth it Mm -hmm. because it does take resources. When you think about sort of the value added, 
proposition here. It, it would be great if we could point to anything we do, any specific thing in, we do in medicine and say like, this really improves outcomes. We can, you know, as a result, bill more for it, right? But in fact, I think that's actually the rarer case. More often right. it's like, we think this makes sense or like we do this bundle of things and we know that all of them collectively improve things. We don't know what the individual contribution of any given one thing is. But what do you see as sort of the future of multidisciplinary care or what can institutions do to sort of promote multidisciplinary care within their systems? Yeah. Understanding that like you may never be able to say, yeah, it saved us money or it improved outcomes by um, X weeks, but that it just intuitively makes sense that patients are going to prefer it, be happier, do better with this sort of comprehensive care plan where they're like doing everything in one visit. Right. Well, and that's, that is some of the data that we have, actually, that patient satisfaction does go up when they're a part of these multidisciplinary visits. Whether that is by, you know, if you get a new can complicated cancer diagnosis and you feel like, okay, this is the decision we came to, and you feel some sort of sense of completeness knowing that you've had all these people weigh in on making what making that decision. Mm -hmm. Or if you're bringing a complex kid in and they're able to see eight providers that day instead of coming back for eight separate visits on eight different days, right. there seems to be really good value in terms of patient satisfaction from, I think, both of those perspectives. Yeah. So that that's one way. You know, we think what the patients think actually really matters, and that certainly is driving some of the changes in healthcare and how we interface with patients in terms of responding to messages through my chart, phone calls, like how we interact with our patients matters in our current healthcare environment. But figuring out how to prove to an institution what that value is, is I think where we still have to move forward because it, it certainly does take resources. And the biggest resource really is that coordination of patient care, whether that's gathering up all of their prior studies so that the team of experts has all the information or coordinating how to get all the doctors that one patient needs to see there on the same day. Mm -hmm. And patients having that point of contact is another thing that really comes out as being a powerful motivator for families. If they have that nurse or even that assistant who they know, they talk to, they know that person by name and by the sound of their voice, that seems to actually be a really important thing in terms of their perspective on how care is going. And it does seem as though, you know, our institution has sort of bought into this idea now, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they've not only have they hired you to come here and lead up these multi multidisciplinary teams and, and be a part of building these, this infrastructure within, you know, the system that we have, but um, as I think we'll be talking about in, in a future podcast, like we're actually starting now to think about, well, how do you, if you're building a new building, mm -hmm. how do you build it in such a way that these multidisciplinary, you know, one-stop shop experiences for patients are sort of built into the architecture of the way we take care of every patient? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's things to still figure out that are going to differ from clinic to clinic about the logistics of how you're gonna see patients. You know, Is it only important that you all gather in a room and talk about that patient? Or does it matter if the patient's there? When that patient's there, you get to have the added value of what is the patient's perspective on their illness? What matters to them? How does this impact their life, their family, where they live in terms of what the different treatment options are for them? 
and what what their personal values are you get to bring that in probably that's important but there may be other times where you don't need to have the patient there and then when the patient is there do you all go see them together as one big group and that would require a clinic room that's big enough to accommodate many providers coming in whereas you know right now we all squeeze into one little clinic room together and the patients sort of are like whoa <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but the, at the, the same clown time car I approach half the clown car clown yeah. car exactly I have the time I think they think it's really cool yeah and half the time I think probably especially you know our teenagers and others think it's a little awkward to have that many that many people sort of all staring at them at once so figuring out how to build those spaces to accommodate really different models because I think there's probably little bit of different models that are going to work better in certain populations than than others mm-hmm. so fantastic well it's so cool the work that you're doing and the way that you know you're creating this uh, it feels like a pit stop sort of right like it's like you come in and like you're just surrounded by people who are each very focused on like making sure that their specific task is done with the goal of winning the race right yeah exactly it's I mean so we, cool. we think about that every day as surgeons in the operating room you know yeah. patients roll in and somebody's putting SCDs on and somebody's putting EKG leads on and everybody's sort of jumping to doing everything and, and this kind of translates that it's natural right that like we would be the leaders in yeah. thinking about this in some ways because like this is it's what in we a do. different way, it's like exactly what we do in the operating room. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming by. This is so cool. Thanks. Nice Appreciate to see you uh, outside of the walls of the Children's Hospital, and uh, exactly. we hope to have you back on again soon. Thanks. Next time on the surgery set, Dr. Jay Nathwani comes by my office for a chat. Jay is one of our chief residents here, and his research focuses on surgical education. We discuss his path to surgery. He had three very different college majors and talk about the ways in which surgeons can honor the wishes of their patients through compromise and the often difficult process surgeons face of learning from their mistakes. It's a great discussion, both for his perspectives on becoming a surgeon and because we speak some unspoken truths about the field. Join us. And don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends, and rate the podcast on your favorite podcast app. It really does make a huge difference. Thanks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. Thank you.